All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it, uh, it actually was September the last time I spoke, and um, I, uh, I remember saying I was surprised to get that call um, it, back when uh, Aaron spoke, because Aaron doesn't feel comfortable giving up the, uh, the pulpit, and I completely appreciate that. I actually really like that about him. Uh, and at the same time, you know, everybody needs a break and everybody needs to be able to get away. Um, this time I was a little less surprised because he actually reached out to me and said, hey, I am going to be at a wedding. Uh, and, and I knew that a while ago. So um, we had talked about continuing in his series, uh, The Soft Reset. And um, in, in talking about it and praying about it, um, we decided that the best thing to do actually was to let him continue that series when he comes back next week. So uh, the Soft Reset series that we've been going through will continue next week. Uh, and so come back for that and be a part of that. Uh, but what he asked is that we went back into Psalm 23. Uh, and like John was saying, um, we did begin Psalm 23. And we got through the first half of the psalm. And it's, it's, it's deep and it's rich. Um, and, and interestingly, in the first half, very straightforward. Uh, so he asked me to come back and do the second half. Because, you know, there was quite a bit of prep done. And, it, you know, there's, there's more to it. Um, the crazy thing is I was terrified to come back to it. And the reason I'm terrified to come back to it is because the depth actually explodes in the second half in a way that uh, I think most people miss. Um, and so uh, we're coming back to it, and, um, and I appreciate the opportunity. And at the same time, I just need to let you guys know uh, I'm a little bit afraid of this one, and I'm a lot scattered. Uh, and I'll try to get into why that's the case uh, in a few minutes. But uh, if we could just pray very quickly uh, again, and then we will go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I, I thank you for this opportunity. Um, but mostly, I just, I come to you humbly and ask that you would speak here, and that you would lighten your word, um, enlighten the minds of the people that hear, and uh, Lord, just, just be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to do, because this is a part two um, and because there was so much in the second half that relies on the first half, I want to do a bit of a recap. Um, some of you probably have really good memories, and, and you, you actually remember most of what was said. And, and then there's people like me who, I heard you, uh, but I don't remember anything you said. So um, for that reason, I'm actually, I want to do a recap. Um, and we'll go, ahead and start, so, um, we'll go ahead and start with the history and the historical context Actually, before we even do that, we're going to read Psalm 23. So if you want to go ahead and put the whole psalm up. This is in the NASB, um, and I don't know if you can read it or not. If you memorized it in King James or NIV, that's fine. But I would love it if you could say it with me. Uh, and I'm going to read it right off of here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is so much here. There's so much here. And it's, it is a, a wonderful passage that we come to in times of heaviness, in times of crisis, in times of doubt. Um, and that's a great thing to come to it. Because, interestingly, there's, there is that comfort in the middle of it, and there's a way out of that darkness. Um, go ahead and put up the, um, 
the slide on the history. Um, so again, giving a historical recap of, of what's going on. Uh, David writes this psalm, and he writes it um, very likely in the time of his exile from his kingship when his son Absalom is uh, taking over the throne of Jerusalem. He is out, he's away. He's already been shepherd. He's already been king. He's already done all of the glorious things that David was a part of, whether it be Goliath uh, or, or the, the taking of Jerusalem, um, bringing in the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. Um, Bathsheba has already happened. Uriah has already happened. He has already lived a life that is very long and, and, and has been very good and very bad and, and has had its ups and downs. And now he is literally living in exile. And he's heavy, Right? And of, of course he's heavy because things are not going well for him. And it's in that context that he actually writes. And he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He writes and, and he, he goes back to and reflects on, on who God is and who he is. Now, when we spoke last time, um, we talked a little bit about all of the different components in the beginning. Um, and so in, um, in verse 1, we have Yahweh is my shepherd. And we talked about specifically how Yahweh is the proper name for God. And, and it's, it's so much bigger than just Adonai or, or Lord. You know, um, it's, it's the name of God. It's the proper name of God. It's the God who created everything. It's the God who speaks everything into existence. It's the God who called Moses. It's the God who wrestles uh, with Jacob. It is, it is God and then he uses my shepherd. And it's so personal. And, and David is trying to say to David, interestingly, God of everything is my shepherd. And he's so personal. In verse 2, um, let's go ahead and hit verse 2. Sorry. In verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. We talked about what green pastures were and how rare they are in the Near East. Uh, in the Middle East, and we talked about how um, sheep are brought into a, a, a pasture to graze, and that's the point. They're, they're to be fed, but they're also to actually care for the, uh, the field in their grazing. Um, but God makes us lie down, and there are times where he actually presses us down because we're skittish, and we're busy, and we're, we're moving, and, and, and it's hard to rest sometimes because there's so much to get done. There's so much to do. Sometimes really good things to do. Sometimes maybe less good things to do, but, um, but God actually physically presses us down, and sometimes that comes in the form of a respite we were not expecting, uh, a surgery that was unexpected, or, or uh, the need to be with a friend who is going through something, and we have to actually withdraw from life just to sit um, and, and sometimes God actually stops us in our tracks, right? And so that's what he's saying here. God makes me lie down. He knows that a good shepherd will actually make the sheep lie down and rest. And then they do. In verse 3, he leads me beside quiet waters. And we talked about how, again, in the Near East, that's actually very rare. The Near East ha- is a desert. And so quiet waters, still waters, uh, don't stay around long. Right? So, so in order to create quiet waters, the shepherd has to actually go into a raging river when they're there and build out a, a dam 
and actually dam off water so that it can be calm because sheep will not drink from flowing, moving water. And why is that? Well, because they're full of wool. And wool is really heavy. And when wool is heavy and it gets wet, it gets even heavier. And sheep tip in and they fall in and they get swept away and they drown. So they will not drink from flowing, moving water. They just won't. And so the shepherd has to go and do the work of creating it. He has to move the rocks and move the wood and and create so the sheep can drink. So even though there are times that we are experiencing or we're looking at what looks like all of the things we need and they're rushing by. We can't drink. We can't take part. God's the one who has to make that thing happen. And he's the one who's got to move the stuff so that we can actually enjoy his blessing. And of course, in verse 4, he restores my soul. The restoration part is is so interesting, and, and we, we talked a lot, actually, about the word shov, which is an important word in the Hebrew, and the reason it's an important word is because it's a word that has a connotation of, of a shepherd who goes to find, a shepherd who goes to get. A, uh, the restoration is actually seeking after the lost. Matthew, or Jesus, in Matthew, very specifically references this when he says, uh, I, I will leave the 99 to go find the one. That is absolutely what a shepherd will do. He will go and he will restore because sheep wander. Every sheep wanders. It is a known thing. Every sheep wanders. They all do it, uh, some more often than others, and some to the point that they always wander. There are, there are those of us who just can't stay with the flock, right? We're, we're out there and we're always going. And so the interesting thing about the word shove here, the important thing about the word shove here is that eight in ten times that it's used in scripture, it literally means to go find and bring back. One in ten times in scripture, it means to discipline or to break. We talked about how a shepherd, even when they don't want to, will identify the sheep that always runs off. And they will go and they will actually break the leg of that sheep so that it can't wander off. And then they will carry that sheep on their shoulders everywhere they go until that sheep's leg is mended. And the sheep learns to rely completely on that shepherd. See, the interesting thing is the other one in ten times, the word means to redeem. And this is the part where the shepherd will actually go and lay his life down. And and Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd in John, and says the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He will do whatever it takes to get to his sheep. He will do whatever it takes to keep his sheep. And why is that? Well, because in the rest of verse 4, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation is the one on the line, not ours. We're sheep. Sheep. We're dumb. We're stupid. We're wandering. We're, we're, we're unintelligent. We bite hard. We bite each other. We, we, we don't always get along. We're distracted by shiny things. We're sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. His reputation is on the line. He's the one who's got to come find us. He's the one who's got to come do it. And, and so we talked a lot about how all of those things work together to, to remind us that, um, that he's our God, that he is good, that he will keep us, that he will provide for us, that he will bring us back, that he will redeem us and restore us for his own glory because it's his reputation on the line. That's what we covered 
And it took 45 minutes to cover it last time, so uh, we did pretty good to only cover it in about five. So moving on to the second half. Um, the second half of this, this, um, this passage, um, I actually, I think I have the second half on a slide I want to put up. Yeah. This is the part of the psalm that everybody knows. This is the part of the psalm that everybody gravitates toward. This is the part of the psalm that speaks into the heart of the person who's brokenhearted or who is dealing with death. This is the part that people go to in times of distress, in the funerals, in, in, in seeking God out for comfort. And there's a good reason for that. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now there's a couple of things that are very interesting here. And, and this is the part where my brain gets really scattered. Um, and... I'll, I'll try to make this as clear as I can as to why it happens. In verses 1 through 4, there is a very straight line of thought. There's a very straight line of thought. And David, in whatever cave he's hiding in, in distress, writes this psalm to an audience. He writes out. He speaks outward. If you remember in verses 1 through 4, it's, the Lord is my shepherd, he does this, and he does that, and he does this, and he does that, right? It's, it's as if he's speaking to a group of people. Now, interestingly, he's the only one in the audience, right? So he's telling himself, he's reminding himself, he's, he's living in this reminiscence so that he can be restored, really, right? Because he's in distress, and he's remembering. He's almost like, for a second, David kind of splits from himself, and he, he speaks to himself a sermon. Here you go, dude. The Lord does this for you. The Lord does that for you. The Lord is good for you, for his namesake. Right? And then, and then it switches. And it switches. And when it switches, it switches from a sermon to a praise. From a sermon to a praise. He changes it. Um... He changes it from outward to upward. Read it with me again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. He's not talking out anymore. He's talking to God. I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. It's amazing that in this time of distress that he gets to, he gets to this point where he's, he's, he's hearer of the word in the first half. And in hearing, he goes, oh God, you are good. It becomes a prayer praise, a worship time for him. Now, interesting, um, in the midst of the prayer and the praise, he actually takes what he's just heard in verse 1 through 4, and he turns it right back around in that prayer and praise. The imagery stays the same. He's still speaking about a shepherd 
He's still speaking about shepherd life. And so a lot of the imagery actually remains, and that's important. Because, as we heard in the first, you know, the, the importance of the imagery helps us to understand, I think, more deeply the individual things that God actually does. And he continues that here. He lingers in a reminiscence. He, he lingers in, in the shepherd imagery. So, when he switches from sermon to praise, there's something very interesting also that happens. There's a connection that he makes. If you remember in verse 3, he says, You lead me in paths of righteousness. The Lord leads in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then he jumps right into verse 4. So we have paths of righteousness. And then in verse 4, we have, You lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Now hold on a sec. Didn't you just say you lead me in paths of righteousness? And now you're saying you lead me through valleys of shadow of death? That's an interesting idea here because the idea then is that sometimes the path of righteousness is through a valley of shadow of death. Now, Got to dig into the Hebrew a little bit, because I can't not dig into Hebrew. Um, the word is actually, um, I think I wrote it down here, and I don't remember it. Uh, Tal Mahav, I think, is how it's actually pronounced. And basically, it's, it's the valley of the shadow of death, right? Interestingly, this is the only place in Scripture where it's translated the valley of the shadow of death, or shadow of death. Everywhere else that it's used in Scripture, it's actually a valley of deep darkness, a valley of shadows, a valley of danger, a valley of gloom. So going back to our shepherd imagery, going back to um, what David is talking about here, as a shepherd, he knows some things about the land and the area, and he knows some things about what's going on uh, in the Near East. He's been a shepherd there, right? So he knows a couple of things. And one of the things he knows is that these shadows, or these, these valleys, these, these ravine places exist that you have to move sheep through. And the reason for that is because there are green pastures in the wintertime down in the lowlands. And then there are green pastures in the summertime up in the highlands when the snow melts and the meadows come out. But the connection between the lowlands and the highlands is through a group of ravines. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have ever driven up northeast towards Nebraska, and actually paid attention to the topography. If you're driving around out there in our high desert, one of the things you'll notice is that we have this large flat plain. It starts to get a little bit hilly. And then all of a sudden, there's this almost wall of canyon. And then you got another on the north side of that, where it's, again, nice and hilly. But what you have that separates the lower plain from the upper plain is this really deep-trenched, canyon-type area. Uh, when I was uh, working with uh, Thielen, and Thielen was in Royal Rangers, and we did a thing called the Chimney Challenge, and we went up to and camped inside one of these canyon ravines. Uh, it's really interesting. It's craggy, and there's uh, almost all times of the day they're shadow it, it, because, because it's so deep. There's no light that can actually penetrate in. It's light, but it's not really light. Um, and there are snakes, Lots of them. Why? Because it's rocky and it's craggy and there's holes and they can get in there and they can... And, and what else are there? Well, in Chimney Challenge, there's coyotes and we heard them. Um, in Israel, there were wolves. And what else is there? Well, in first century and, and prior, there are thieves. 
because it's a good place to hide out. Because again, there are caves, there's holes. And so these places are actually places of really incredible danger. Now add to that one more component of the topography. Uh, whereas our ravines, our canyons, tend to uh, be the, the narrow kind that look kind of like you know, fingers sticking down. Um, in Israel, there are those, but there are also the ones where they just continue to fall off the side. And so it's almost cliff-like. Right? And so you have this rocky path that's going from the bottom of that canyon up to the top. And it's fairly narrow. It's easy to fall. It's easy to get stuck in the bramble. It's easy to, to get lost. Right? That's what David is referring to. It's this place where it's dark. It's dangerous. It's actually quite terrifying. So God leads us through those. Why? Well, again, because... The lowland pastures, they're toast. We've been eating out there all winter long, and now the sun's coming out, the grass is going to die. i got to get to the highlands to be able to get to new pastures. i got to get up there to get to new fields. And so he, he takes us through this valley of darkness, knowing that in this valley of darkness there's no provision, there's only danger, but we've got to get through it to get to the other side. And God is the one who will lead us through paths of righteousness. He takes us through to get us to the next place, to get us to to where we will grow. Um, I want to stay in that verse, or stay on that slide. So that's the first part, right? That's the first section. He continues and he says, I fear no evil for you are with me. I don't have to be afraid of all of that bramble. I don't have to be afraid of the, the snakes and the wolves. I don't have to be afraid of falling off the side. Why? Well, because he's with us. And the closer we are to him, the less afraid we have to be. And why is that? Well, the very next section. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, I'll go back a little bit and... Um, when I was a kid, I was in a, I don't even remember what class it was. It was a Sunday school class, I believe. And the instructor of the Sunday school class was talking about this particular section. And he said, you know, this is right here. God's telling us about his, his discipline and, and his, um, his, his being able to keep you in line, rod and staff. You know, you're going to get clubbed and you're going to get dragged. And, and that's how I took it, right? And so I, I always looked at this and I'm like, this doesn't really help me. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how I don't have fear at the idea of being struck or being drugged. Uh, this, that's not fearless, right? So as I was preparing for this, I was, I was looking for somebody to help me understand what's actually going on here. And uh, there's a guy, his name is Charles Schlemming, and uh, he's a pastor, a theologian, but before he was that, he was actually a migrant worker who lived in, in the Near East, uh, and, and actually studied shepherding and, and uh, sheep keeping for a period of time. And so after he was that and he became pastor and theologian uh, in the early 1900s, he wrote a book that helped explain what these elements are and what they do. And a rod is, um, it's like a club. It's uh, usually a long, big knobby end, and usually it's got bits of bone or, or rocks or other things that are actually pushed into the ends, almost like a mace, and, and interestingly, they're designed to be swung, to hit things like wolves, 
not sheep. Uh, you wouldn't want to hit your sheep with that. You'd kill them. And, and a shepherd's reputation is at stake, right? So, of course, he's not going to hit his sheep with that. But he will hit a wolf. Uh, better than that, uh, he might throw it at a bear or a wolf. And they actually were throwing weapons. That was what they were designed to do. And so the, the shepherd, no matter where he's at on this path, he has the ability, he has the power to strike at the enemy that may come at him. Okay? That's part of the reason I don't have to be afraid. It's also part of the reason I want to get close to the shepherd because as he's taking us through the highland, or you know, through that path, he's the one who can protect me. And he can protect me with that rod. And he will protect me against all enemies who will come at me. Right? So then the staff. And I get the image. I'm, I'm being drugged, you know, because that's what I did with my dog as a kid. You know, drag the dog by the collar. And it can be used for that in certain extreme situations, right? A shepherd wouldn't be afraid to do that. But really what the staff is, is it's really long. You know, it's eight feet tall-ish. Maybe shepherds are a little shorter, so maybe only seven feet tall. Um, but... <laughs> It's crooked on the end, you know. Well, why is it crooked on the end? So that when the sheep slides off the path and gets stuck in the bramble past his reach, well, he's got his staff, and he reaches down there, and he hooks him, pulls him back up to himself. It is a way for him to get the one that's stuck and draw him near. It's a way for him to get the one that's beginning to wander off in this very dangerous place, and again, draw him near. And that's what he's trying to do, right? He's... he's He's drawing us near, and he wants to hold us close. And so again, that's the reason I don't have to fear. That's the reason I don't have to be afraid as we're walking through from lowland to highland, through this valley of deep shadow, of gloom, of death threat. He's got us in his hands. He's going to take care of us. He's the one who empowers us. So now, on to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and my cup overflows. Now, this is interesting. This is another potential shift or change. And we've we've seen where David has already made one shift from, from outward to upward. And this is also the part where a lot of people go, well, here's the proof he's king. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is all kingship stuff. This is all court life stuff. And it is entirely possible that it's influenced by that. However, that's incomplete and probably wrong. And here's why. Again, shepherd, Middle East, lowlands and highlands. A shepherd would take his sheep from the lowland to the highland through the valley of the shadow of death, and he would bring them to these new highland locations, new fields growing with grass, right? And they look beautiful, and they're amazing, and they are unprepared. And so what he does before he allows his sheep to go into this new field is he stops them at the edge of the field. He stops them. He actually holds them in, gates them out. Why? Well, because new fields always have poisonous vipers. Always. It's the Middle East thing. It's what they do. Uh, they have poisonous vipers that are deadly enough to sheep that just a single bite right on the nose will actually poison the sheep. They will get sick. They will probably die. And so before he will allow the sheep to come into that new field, he has to prepare it. So he pins them off. He goes into the new field and he begins stamping around with his staff. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to get 
all those vipers to go back in their holes. That's a big deal. He's got to do that work. He gets them back into their holes. And then what does he do? He actually takes a big, huge vat of hog's oil. Stuff smells really badly. The snakes can't stand it. It's a repellent. And so he goes and he walks around and he finds every single hole he can find in that new field. And he puts a ring around that new field of hog's oil. Snakes don't like the hogs oil, so they stay in the hole, right? And that's fantastic. He's actually protecting us from enemies that are literally right there in the field. He prepares the table in the presence of enemies. But that's not enough, because the sheep, once they're in the field, they're going to wander. They're going to go, and they're curious, and they're going to stick their face right down in that stupid hole. Because that's what we do. And so he anoints the head of the sheep with the rest of the hogs oil so that they carry that essence, so that they carry it everywhere they go in that plentiful field. They literally carry the scent, unfortunately bad one in his case, of the shepherd wherever they go. And it acts as a repellent, and the snakes don't bite. So what do you do then as a sheep? You want to be anointed. And yeah, it's gross and it's, 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 it's mushy and it, it, it gets to you and it get, you know, maybe emotional, right? Uh, to be anointed by God. But when you get anointed by God, you carry his essence everywhere you go. And when you carry his essence everywhere you go, you carry his joy wherever you go. And the enemy doesn't like that. But again, if God is the one who has prepared your field, he's going to be the one who helps prevent the enemy from coming and attacking you. Staying in his essence, staying in his presence. Right? So, where are we at? My cup overflows. So again, court reference. Kingship, my cup overflows. And we, we hear from uh, other places in scripture where God, when he pours out, he just pours out blessing on blessing and it runs over, Right? Well, that's exactly the imagery we're going with here. Because again, up in the highlands, it's the highlands of a desert. Where's the water? It's down in a hole, 100 feet underground or more. And so what has to happen in order to water the sheep? The shepherd has to go to the well in the field, and he's got to draw up the water and put it somewhere, right? They do. They have these big, huge cups, bowls, right? And he fills them. And he fills them to overflowing. Why does he fill them to overflowing? Isn't a little bit of water sufficient? I mean, you know, if you're getting water for your dog, do you fill the water bowl until it's completely full? Of course not. It's a mess, right? But in this particular case, God looks at it and he goes, look, sheep don't like to get their fuzz wet. It smells, it's gross. It's, you know, they like to drink from water that takes no effort. Because he's a good shepherd, he actually takes pleasure in going down into that well over and over and over and doing the work to draw that water up over and over to fill those cups to overflowing for the ease of his sheep. Why? Just because. Just because he loves us. Just because he wants to bless. And what's amazing is because it overflows, it overflows into that field and it helps to water that field. And so the, the blessing continues beyond the sheep. Are you taking your overflowing blessing and blessing others, right? See, there's so much that goes on here. and There's, there's so many layers and so many components. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the layers and the components that, that God packs together in something that's so simple. 
So straightforward. Uh, let's hit the next slide. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we talked at the very beginning in, in part one how the opening verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, was a preamble to his sermon. And this, if you're an academic, uh, if you're a student, uh, if you've ever uh, had to write a paper that was one of those MLA formatted papers, what you'll see here is that this is a perfect conclusion. Perfect summary. Nice and packaged. It restates the beginning. It's, it's exactly what you'd want as an academic, right? It's more than that. See, he's still on with the shepherd thing. No shepherd goes by himself. No shepherd ever goes by himself. A shepherd always has trusty helpers. Sometimes those trusty helpers are people. Most of the time for the shepherd, those trusty helpers are sheepdogs. They're named right there. Goodness, loving kindness. See, the shepherd leads. The shepherd goes before. Now, that's different than European and Western shepherding. Something to keep in mind. If you've seen the uh, Wallace and Gromit or you've seen other, uh, or not Wallace and Gromit, um, Shaun the Sheep and some of the other uh, TV shows or cartoons or whatever, uh, what you'll find is that a shepherd usually stands outside and he whistles or, or he drives. He drives his sheep. You know, he gets behind him and he actually kind of pushes them around. He uses the dogs to push them around. That's Western shepherding. There's a reason for that. So the same guy, Charles Slumming, um, he, he's over, and he's watching, and he's actually leading a tour, and he's telling this tour group after he's pastor that in the Middle East, shepherds always lead. The sheep follow. The shepherd leads. You will never see the shepherd behind the sheep, ever. And he's on this tour group, and he's explaining this very thing right here and, uh, and explaining that, that the shepherd always leads. And this group stumbles upon a flock of sheep being driven. And he's like... What goes, this, this doesn't happen. This is a never situation. And so out of his curiosity, he just couldn't help himself. He, he goes to the shepherd and he says, where were you trained? Are you a shepherd? And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. <laughs> the butcher pushes. And in our Western shepherding, we're far more likely to butcher than they do with their sheep. They keep them, right? The shepherd leads. But his trusty and faithful friends, his trusty dogs, goodness, loving kindness, or mercy, or grace, favor, they follow. So again, as we're going through that valley, as we're going into new fields, as we're going about our life, we have a shepherd that we follow, but immediately behind us, keeping an eye on us, helping to guide us, helping to correct our course, our goodness, his goodness, when we remember it, and his loving kindness. He keeps us in line just by prodding us. See, and there's one more thing. That word follows me. It's not the sneaky kind of follow. It's not the kind of follow where, uh, where we, we have a stalker. Or, you know, it, it's, it's more like military word. In, in Hebrew, it's, it's the word for to pursue relentlessly until victory. 
These things are aware. They know where we are. They're paying attention. And we know that they're there if we will pay attention. So sometimes we have to remember to lift our eyes, to look out and to see his goodness, his grace in our lives. Even when we're in that valley, we look up and we experience then his joy. Worship team, if you guys want to come up. Just one final thought. And this one's kind of a big one. This is part of the, the scattered thing. There's one more thing, and if you'll go back and put up the four, the, I, it may be the next slide. Four through six. Notice that there's a progression here. Think about it in an allegorical kind of sense or metaphorical kind of sense. And we talk about going from lowland to highland. But, but for a minute, step back from the shepherd and sheep and actually think about what's happening in worship and praise. David recognizes right at the beginning of this that he is in a low place. And then he talks through, and as he talks through, in worship, in praise, we find that in every step of the way he's elevated from the low to the place where he's provided, to the place where blessing comes, to the place where not only is blessing present, but we're being guarded and protected by God and by his goodness and grace. There is this movement from bottom to top. And the movement from bottom to top is something that is a challenge to us. That we ought to then move from bottom to top. And what we ought to do is remember that Jesus is the good shepherd. That he prepares a place for us. Prepared a table for us. What table did he prepare for us? But the table of his new covenant. The table of his blood and of his flesh. The table of a promise where we can come together and be a part of his family because he laid his life down for us. And so I just ask today, have you thought through all of that? Are you, are you aware of where you are? Are you in a valley? Are you going through a hard time? Are you on your way into new fields? Are you at a place of blessing? Remember, it's all the shepherd. Remember that we're the sheep together and that we sit at his table and that we can take joy in that we sit at his table. And then we take it out to others. Our job as sheep, we're sheep. But as Christians, we're called to help spread this. We're called to, to partake, to enjoy, to enjoy each other, but then to go. See, this is slightly incomplete. We're commissioned. We're commissioned to go. And so my challenge to you today, find out where you're at in this path. And if you need to come to the shepherd, come to the shepherd. He's waiting. And if you're already in his presence and you're already enjoying his presence, that's fantastic. Enjoy it and then get ready to go because he's going to send you. In Matthew it says, I send you as sheep among the wolves. I'm going to send you. But you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you from now to the end of the age.